Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Strap in. It's a critical week for the country and the future of a presidency. The lead starts right now. In front of the nation, public impeachment hearings set to begin as President Trump prepares for them with more misleading claims and the resistance from within. The former U.N. ambassador Nikki Haley says when she was in the Trump administration, two of the president's top men tried to recruit her to, quote, save the country from Trump. A warning or an audition? Plus, Pointing out a double standard, Senator Amy Klobuchar takes a shot at Mayor Pete Buttigieg, saying a woman with his resume wouldn't be near the debate stage. Is that fair? Welcome to The Lead. I'm Dana Bash in for Jake Tapper on this Veterans Day. And we begin with the politics lead, a monumental week for the impeachment inquiry of President Donald Trump. Democrats are looking to make their case for impeachment to the American people with televised hearings. As the president tells Republicans to abandon an increasingly popular line of defense involving the infamous Trump-Ukraine call. And as CNN's Alex Marquardt reports, we may soon learn about another key presidential phone call. The impeachment inquiry bursting into the open this week. Historic appearances by witnesses who gave damning testimony behind closed doors about quid pro quo in Ukraine, now set to do it in front of the TV cameras for the world to hear. Democrats hoping the hearings will make their case the inquiry is necessary. Those open hearings will be an opportunity for the American people to evaluate the witnesses for themselves, to make their own determinations about the credibility of the witnesses. Up first, Wednesday, the most senior U.S. diplomat in Ukraine, Ambassador Bill Taylor, and his boss, George Kent, followed Friday by Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch, whom the president pulled out of Ukraine after what she called a concerted campaign against her by Rudy Giuliani and others. All three have testified to the shadow Ukraine policy that Giuliani was leading on behalf of President Trump. Trying to put a ribbon on a sham process doesn't make it any less of a sham. Republicans have slammed the process for its secrecy. Now they're allowed to call witnesses, but Democrats have the final say. One big request from Republicans, the whistleblower. It's impossible to bring this case forward, in my view, fairly, without us knowing who the whistleblower is and having a chance to cross-examine them. But House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff rejecting that request writing that testimony from the whistleblower, whose identity is still unknown, would be redundant and unnecessary and only place their security at grave risk. The other main Republican request is Joe Biden's son, Hunter, showing that the GOP intends to keep pushing the widely discredited line that the Bidens did something wrong and that this was all about corruption in Ukraine. Another line Republicans are working on is their defense of the president, which for many on Capitol Hill has evolved into admitting he did something wrong, but not impeachable. I believe it was inappropriate. I do not believe it was impeachable. President Trump not pleased with any concession, tweeting that Republicans are falling for a fool's trap, saying it is much stronger than that, 
nothing was done wrong. We have already seen the White House transcript of the now infamous July 25th call between President Trump and President Zelensky when President Trump asked the new president of Ukraine for a favor. And Dana, now the president is saying that the White House will probably release another transcript tomorrow of another phone call that the president had with President Zelensky. That one is from April, Mm -hmm. the first time that they spoke right after Zelensky won that election. Dana. It's too bad there's no news this week. Alex, thank you so much for that report. Uh, Here with me uh, is a wonderful panel on race Suarez. I want to start with you just broadly about what to expect this week. The Democrats need these public hearings to go well, to make the case that the president should be impeached. What are you looking for? I'm looking for the Republicans who are present on the panel to holler and ask aggressive questions that sometimes take us off the line of narrative that the Democrats might be able to build with their questions. They want to throw sand in the gears. That's part of their whole reason for being in the room and their demand that the hearings be public. Now they got what they want. It's going to be wild. And on the flip side, it's incumbent on the Democrats to make the case through their questioning, which historically speaking, doesn't always go the way uh, the majority party wants on, on either side, depending on their goal. That's exactly right. What's a little different, though, this time around in these public hearings is that Democrats are going to have the first 45 minutes to question these witnesses consecutively. That's Bill Taylor and George Kent on the first day of these public hearings. And that allows them a good chunk of time to tell a straightforward narrative um, in order to to get a more direct picture painted here, because with these twenty five hundred pages worth of transcripts. It's easy for Republicans and Democrats to cherry pick what they want people to pay attention to. But here they're going to ask pointed questions that are going to be asking these senior White House officials, some of them Republicans, trying to directly connect the quid pro quo, this extortion scheme directly to President Trump. Okay, so let's go back to that and to your point about Republicans. President Trump just won't let his fellow Republicans on Capitol Hill stick with the defense that they clearly feel most comfortable with, most people, not always, which is, yeah, but. Yeah, what he did was not wrong, but it's not impeachable. Here's what the president tweeted. Republicans, don't be led into the fool's trap of saying it was not perfect, but it's not impeachable. No, it is much stronger than that. Nothing was done wrong. Warning shot. Yeah, I I mean, he's just putting them in an impossible position because I think anybody with eyes can see that that obviously there was something highly problematic what with what happened and so um, you know he he should have I think let them make that argument and continue to make the defense they don't think it's impeachable um, I, I do think like what you're saying is exactly right they're going to be just trying to throw sand in the gears they're trying to distract they're going to try to focus on the fact that the whistleblower isn't there and we can't pay attention to this because the whistleblower isn't there, even though everything the whistleblower said has been corroborated, a lot of it corroborated, frankly, by Donald Trump's own, mm-hmm. you know, explanation of what happened. But they're going to try to distract. Um, that's going to be the only thing that they can do is to try to just sort of distract from what's going on there and be pointing at things that are extraneous, but they might be able to convince viewers aren't. And Antonio, you're the Republican communicator on the Hello. panel. Um, I got to know you because you were working uh, on, in the House for leadership, in the Senate uh, for leadership. If you were still there, what would you be doing to prepare for this when it comes to the Republican defense? Trying to sleep a lot tonight. Um, <laughs> but I would that. say I think there's also something we have to step back and remember here, which is what do the American people actually think? Are they going to be watching? Yes, House Democrats are trying to give themselves some time to build a narrative. 
or are most people going to be watching? This is not the early 70s when America was transfixed by Watergate. So I think the times are different. And I think where in some ways it's easier. They can watch clips on their phone. Sure. But both sides will pick the clips that they want. So I think that for Democrats, they want this to be serious. Republicans want to make it a show. And I think that's going to be the challenge for Democrats to keep it being serious, because I think partisans on both sides view this as being partisan. And there's going to be pressure from both left and right Mm -hmm. to perform. That is the House of Representatives (laughs) in its best and its worst. And I think uh, (laughs) we'll see a lot of performance art this week. It is really a question of whether House Democrats are going to be able to change anyone's minds. I got to tell you, I'm skeptical of that. Okay, so let's listen to Senator John Kennedy trying to come up with and articulate a defense for Republicans? If it can be demonstrated that the president asked for and and had the requisite state of mind, that the president asked for an investigation of a political rival, that's over the line. But if he asked for an investigation of possible corruption by someone who happens to be a political rival, that's not over the line. So over the line, does that mean impeachable? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> okay, Ray, if he were on your show, <laughs> your face, what would your follow-up to that be? Probably. <laughs> I'm stunned that he said it in quite that way. It seemed like he wasn't prepared for the question, yeah. which is only the most obvious question to ask next. Mm-hmm. I think you, normally the legendary message discipline on that side mm-hmm. of the aisle will come to the fore. They're still finding their talking points at this point. But... One by one, these straw men fall. Who's the whistleblower? They, Zelensky didn't know we were withholding the money. One by one, they're falling, so they fall back to new rhetorical mm-hmm. positions. If he did it, it's over the line, and I don't know, is a stunning line. I think I'd have a good talk with him after that, that appearance. Well, yeah, right, if you were working for All right, we're going to take a break, but I just have to say, you're so right. Republicans, historically, they were the people who were on message. Democrats, historically, struggled a little bit more. Um, but that was before the era of Donald Trump. And I'll let that sit with you <laughs> while we take a break. The president endorsed her new book, Does He Know Nikki Haley? Kind of dissed him in it. And... I spent the day in New Hampshire with one of the Democratic frontrunners, Joe Biden. His view of Trump's attacks on him is not what you may expect. Stay with us. Sticking with the politics lead, internal White House concern about President Trump's conduct. In a new book, former ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley recounts then Chief of Staff John Kelly and Secretary of State Rex Tillerson telling her that when they resisted the president, it was to save the country. Haley called their actions offensive and said they should have quit. As CNN's Caitlin Collins reports, this all comes as President Trump insists to Republicans there's nothing to see here on impeachment. As the White House braces for the first public testimonies, President Trump is attempting a new defense, now claiming the transcripts of the testimonies behind closed doors are doctored by Democrats, tweeting, Republicans should put out their own transcripts. Despite his claim, Republicans who were in the room haven't disputed the accuracy of the transcripts, which witnesses spent hours reviewing. It is truly an honor to come back to New York City. In New York on Veterans Day, Trump railed against the inquiry from behind his keyboard. Just days before the hearings begin, some Republicans are saying the call was wrong, but not impeachable. The president asked for an investigation 
of a political rival. That's over the line. Okay. But if he asks for an investigation of possible corruption by someone who happens to be a political rival, that's not over the line. That's ignoring Trump's advice not to use that defense. The White House insists they're in lockstep. In terms of messaging, yeah, we're all on the same page. But as Trump and his allies dispute the testimonies of current and former aides, their accounts of a chaotic White House run by an impulsive president are being confirmed. In her new memoir, Nikki Haley claims John Kelly and Rex Tillerson tried to recruit her to join them in undermining and ignoring Trump's commands in an effort to save the country. Instead of saying that to me, they should have been saying that to the president, not asking me to join them on their sidebar plan. Kelly didn't refute Haley's claims, but said if providing the president with the best and most open, legal and ethical staffing advice is working against Trump, then guilty as charged. Haley, who may have political ambitions of her own, steered clear of criticizing Trump as she argued against his impeachment. Do I think that is good? I think it is not a good practice for us ever to ask a foreign country to investigate an American. I don't. But did the Ukrainians call for an investigation? No. Did the president hold up aid? He released the aid, as he should. I don't see it as impeachable. Now, Dana, in the next hour, a federal judge is going to start hearing arguments about whether or not the chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, can join that lawsuit that was filed by the former deputy national security advisor, essentially asking if they have to listen to House Democrats or the White House when it comes to testifying on Capitol Hill. Charlie Kupperman has signaled he doesn't want Mulvaney to be able to join that lawsuit and instead file his own. But it's also notable for another reason. Mulvaney, the chief of staff, was played a part in drafting that eight-page letter from the White House in instructing White House officials not to comply with any requests from House Democrats, but now he seems to want to rely on the court's decision about that. Talk about intrigue. We might get the decision from the court uh, at the top of the hour. Thank you so much for that report. Kaylin, back with our panel. Let's just talk about the big news out of, that we know of out of, out of uh, Nikki Haley's book, which is uh, that Tillerson and John Kelly said we need to save the country. They're not denying that, that, that she said that. What is really remarkable is that I'm sure you all heard, I always heard at the beginning of the administration that there was sort of a pact among the top national security cabinet officials that they needed to stick together to do just this. Nikki Haley is confirming that that was accurate. Yeah, she is. But I also, I mean, it's very, um, she's doing it for her own benefit, right? I mean, she's really selling people out as far as I can tell. I mean, the, I think the assumption is that they were coming to her in confidence, out of concern for things that were going on uh, in the White House. And now she's turning around and using it to her benefit to try to curry favor with President Trump. And I think her argument that, well, if they had a problem, they should have gone to, to President Trump. How does she know they didn't? I mean, I'm assuming they probably did discuss their complaints with Donald Trump. And if they had serious concerns and they went to her, um, these are people that, let's remember, Donald Trump held up as his sort of preeminent you know, appointments. I mean, they were the crown jewels of his, they were. his, the general's. his administration, right? That he was held up and these were the, the, the best people. Mm -hmm. And now suddenly, um, I, you know, I think, I think, I'm just saying, I think if they had concerns, I think that that's the story. It's not, and the fact that she, exactly. yeah, and well, the that, fact that she's trying to make it out that they're doing something wrong yeah. and I'm the good girl. Right. That, I'm glad like, that you said that because yeah. that is the story. Yeah. Yeah. The story is we have uh, her saying and them not denying that the Secretary of State, that the Chief of Staff, 
uh, and maybe even others, were, were trying to protect the country from the president they work for. Well, Dana, this confirms what's been coming out in book after book after investigative piece. There have been so many in only three years of the presidency that showed a pattern of people trying to work around the president or simply ignoring his direct orders, simply taking the order and doing what they intended to do in the first place, in effect running a parallel presidency. This lines up beautifully with that story, which people denied at the time. It also confirms exactly what Rex Tillerson and John Kelly have both publicly said. John Kelly recently said that if left to his own devices, the president would do something that would amount to impeachable defenses. That's why I think what Nikki Haley's doing here is sort of going after low-hanging fruit. These are two people who left the administration um, with a really deteriorated relationship with President Trump. Going after them sets her up to be a pro-Trump candidate in 2024, 2028, when, you know, a bunch of Republicans, I still still think that maybe someone like Jeb Bush can yeah. come in and be the GOP standard bearer. <laughs> Nikki Haley realizes that she needs Trump if she does That's have these exactly political right. ambitions. That's exactly right. The Republican Party has changed so much. Having said that, the Washington Post obtained uh, another part, or probably the whole book, but they wrote about another part uh, of her book where she said, quote, she went privately to the president with her concern that he had ceded authority to Russian President Vladimir Putin after the two leaders met in Helsinki in 2018 and with her objection to what she called Trump's moral equivalence in response to a deadly White House, white supremacist, rather, march in Charlottesville the year before. So she's being protective of him. She's walking a line uh, to say that she's, she's all in on Trumpism, but that she's calling out the things that almost everybody saw as a you-gotta-be-kidding-me moment. I feel like I'm going to have a little bit of the defender of Nikki Haley position here at the table, which is I, I think I do appreciate that the first year of the Trump presidency, you can dislike what it is that he was doing. Mm -hmm. But he was new to this job, right? And he had a lot of people who were telling him what he thought. Mm -hmm. And that was the first year of the Trump presidency. You had in various books, as Ray mentioned, Gary Cohn, who took some a tariff order off the president's desk and threw it away. I mean, you could never imagine another presidency, someone taking away directives that the president was going to sign. They treated him as if he was not the president of the but United States. Does it speak times. to their. And then the next question is why? Well, what did I mean, they see that, made, that we didn't see. I mean, look, there's a lot to be critiqued under this presidency, and I certainly am not going to defend a lot of the things that he's done. I'm a far more sort of traditional R. But in defense of the president, I think he got rid of a lot of people because he wanted to be the president of the United States, and there were so many people that were not listening to him. He was duly elected. And so I have some sympathy for him in that perspective. Now, what are Nikki Haley's motivations? I think we've covered that here. But, but the, I guess and on, on that, it, we're going to have to take a break, but... It's kind of remarkable how she, more than I think anybody else who worked for him and has left, has walked that delicate, almost yes. invisible line of supporting him and criticizing him in a, in a gentle enough way that she maintains credibility. All right. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. And the list keeps growing. Another Republican congressman announced today that he is not running for reelection. But what's really going on with this GOP exodus? We're going to talk about that next. In our 2020 lead, just hours ahead of his town hall, a new Quinnipiac poll just released 
puts former Vice President Joe Biden with a narrow lead among New Hampshire Democratic voters at 20 percent, followed closely by Senator Elizabeth Warren at 16 percent and Mayor Pete Buttigieg at 15 percent. I spent the day on the campaign trail there in the Granite State with Biden, where he told me President Trump's attacks are actually helping him. And some voters seem to agree. It's the rite of passage for anyone running in New Hampshire, filing for the primary in person. And for Joe Biden, a chance to show passion behind a candidacy that leans into the practical. Eight years of Donald Trump will forever and fundamentally change the character of this country. And that's why I am running. Do you feel that that people are, are, are saying, you know what, I'm thinking about Joe Biden because they love you and they want you to be president? Or is it more you're the guy who can be Donald Trump and is that okay? I think it's both. Spending the day with him on the trail, we saw both. He has the best chance of beating Trump. Is that what matters most? Yes, absolutely. And I think Joe Biden is just an excellent man. Out here, he's fighting a two-front war against Democratic rivals and the president. I think Sleepy Joe may be able to limp across the finish line. Are Donald Trump's attacks on you helping you? Yes, they are. How so? Well, they're helping me in every way. Because, he argues, Democratic voters see that the president considers him a threat. Riding in his car to an event, he elaborated. Are you trying to win the, the primary by talking about the general? The reason I'm running is because of the general. I'm not running against with anything having to do with the character of any of the candidates you're running. What I'm doing is trying to make the case that Trump is a gigantic impediment to this country moving forward. But many Democrats see this primary as a philosophical debate inside the party, increasingly playing out in a battle with Elizabeth Warren over her Medicare for All plan. We are the richest country in the history of the world. And yes, we can afford health care for our people. What is elitist about structural change? There's nothing elitist about structural was, change. I was responding to a comment she made. Mm-hmm. She said that anyone who disagreed with her and took her on on her issue of Medicare for all somehow either was a coward, wasn't willing to stand up and state what they thought, was somehow uh, um, uh, doing something, was I think the phrase was, should be in a Republican primary. When we talk about Medicare for all, and people talk about it taking two years, five years, ten years to get it done, that doesn't give any real reassurance to people out there. Can somebody who supports Medicare for all beat Donald Trump? I'm not going to make that judgment. I think there's a much better way. On the stump, an issue in his wheelhouse, the Violence Against Women Act, which he helped write. There's a lot that's happened that's been good. It's so much more work we have to do. Later, a town hall where kids asked some tough questions. How are you going to make schools more safe from mass shootings? Think about this. Those who are over 30, could you ever imagine having asked that question when you were a kid? This is Biden's third go at the presidency, which he admits is tricky. The good news is the bad news. Everybody knows me. Everybody has an opinion. So it's harder to 
mislabel me or to say something about me that's not true. I have weaknesses. It's easier to talk about the weaknesses. But the generic point is that people know who I am. Familiarity and comfort draw voters to see him, even though some aren't completely sold. You're holding Biden uh, signs and you're still not 100 percent. Well, as I say, you know, we like we like the message. Like Terry, I've always loved Joe Biden. He's a likable guy. He says what it is. Sometimes he has these little gaffes, but I think that's what makes Joe Joe. The first time you ran for president, it was 1987. That's right. The world has changed. Yep. A lot. A lot. Have you changed with it? Yes, I have. I mean, if you look, you have to grow. I mean, everything is totally different. I've been wanted to ask you this because I've been hearing it um, anecdotally yep. from voters who are about your age who say, I love Joe Biden, but I'm his age, and I can't imagine being president. What do you tell well, them? Well, I tell them is that, uh, um, watch me. Look, uh, the one thing that I've learned is hopefully with age comes experience, with experience comes some judgment, with judgment has some, comes some wisdom. Eric Swenson told us he came to this town hall with concerns about Biden's age. Now that you've seen him up close and personal, do you still have that? I think he'll be fine. I think he'd be just fine. If here in New Hampshire you don't come in first or even second, do you feel confident that your candidacy can survive? First of all, I think I'm going to do better in both places than that. But let's just say, just hypothetically, I'm not going to go there. On this day on the trail with Joe Biden, he was relentlessly on message. I think I'm better prepared at this moment than any time in my entire life to deal with the problems the next president's going to be able to have to face. Be sure to tune in to CNN's town hall with the former Vice President Joe Biden live tonight. Aaron Burnett is moderating. That's at 9 p.m. Eastern, only here on CNN. And we have some breaking news on the impeachment inquiry. Another transcript of testimony from a top Trump official has just been released. Laura Cooper is this official. She was a top career Pentagon official overseeing Ukraine policy. I want to get straight to Capitol Hill. CNN's Phil Mattingly is there. Phil, what have you found so far? Yeah, Dana, there's a couple pieces of this testimony that are very interesting. And first, you'll remember Laura Cooper because she was actually the official who was waiting to testify as several Republican House members actually stormed the uh, compartmentalized, the the skiff, as they call it, the classified information room, uh, in an effort to try and uh, what they thought was unveil testimony that was taking place behind closed doors. Spent more time, in fact, waiting for those Republicans to leave than testifying itself. But when she actually got down to testifying, there's a couple elements here that I think are worth focusing on. One, she has on-the-ground details of what was happening inside the government as the security assistance to Ukraine was withheld. She laid out very clearly the concerns inside the Pentagon. This assistance was considered integral for Ukraine. She was helping to oversee Ukrainian peace negotiations with Russia, how important it was for the posture of those negotiations for this security assistance to go through. There was also the possibility of the fact that given Congress had allocated this assistance, the fact that it was being held and was not being sent out may in fact have been illegal. And that was a concern people in the Pentagon might have as well. But there's also one more piece. I think this is very important, Dana, because much of this testimony is very technocratic, how funding is dispersed, how the Pentagon is reacting here. This is different. On August 20th, Laura Cooper details a meeting that she had with then special uh, assistant to Ukraine, Kurt Volker, now former, uh, about the funding assistance. She said this meeting is not necessarily out of the, the ordinary. She would meet with him to strategize, given her role overseeing Ukraine policy and his role inside the country. But part of that meeting where they discussed the security assistance and how to get, uh, get it freed was this. This is a quote. 
In that meeting, he did mention something to me that you know was the first about somehow an effort that he was engaged in to see if there was a statement that the, that the government of Ukraine would make that would somehow disavow any interference in U.S. elections and would commit to the prosecution of any individuals involved in election interference. And that was about as specific as it got. The questioner then asked, okay, did he indicate to you that if that channel he was working on was successful, it might lift the issue, as in let the aid go forward? Laura Cooper responds, yes. Now, here's the context there, Dana. If you've been reading through these transcripts, I know you've been reading them, I've been reading them. That statement was discussed ad nauseum throughout, through the irregular channel, as people called it, with regards to Ukraine. The efforts from some in the administration to push President Zelensky and his top advisors to release a statement, a public statement that would be read by Zelensky, that would talk about opening investigations into Burisma, into Hunter Biden, and also 2016 allegations, unsubstantiated allegations, into election meddling. That is now mentioned. It has been mentioned over at the Pentagon. We've seen it repeatedly over the course of these transcripts. Here's another element of that as Democrats continue to try and paint the broad picture that we're going to see spill out into a very public manner starting on Wednesday and also on Friday, Dana. And Phil, I know you want to keep looking through this transcript. So right real quick before I let you go, I think what you just said at the end is really important because we get these transcripts and they're, we're just bombarded by details. Uh, but what it, what it means big picture, correct me if I'm wrong, is another official corroborating the events that were going on that made uh, th th that make the Democrats say that this is impeachable, meaning uh, the, a quid pro quo. Yeah, look, the most, and I'll make this quick, the most important thing that you can pick out of these transcripts, there's thousands of pages, there's a lot of detail, there's a lot of almost mind-blowing, kind of jaw-dropping details in terms of how the irregular channel or kind of shadow government was working here, is how many things are corroborated, how many different officials exactly. knew about the statement, knew about specific meetings, knew about events that others then backed up multiple times over. And this is another instance of that, and I think you're going to see more of that when this becomes public, Dana. Thank you for that, Phil. Appreciate that. We'll uh, get back to you as you continue looking through the transcript. Mayor Pete Buttigieg is climbing in the polls, and one of his opponents says it's because of sexism. Stay with us. We're back with our 2020 lead and Senator Amy Klobuchar taking direct aim at Mayor Pete Buttigieg as he rises in the polls and doing so in her moderate lane. Klobuchar is suggesting a woman with the mayor's experience wouldn't make the debate stage. I'm the one from the Midwest that's actually mm -hmm. won in a statewide race over and over again. And that's not true of Mayor Pete. That's just a fact. Senator Harris, Senator Warren and myself, do I think that we would be standing on that stage if we had the experience that he had? No, I don't. Maybe we're held to a different standard. Okay, this is my favorite story of the day. <laughs> I cannot wait to discuss this with all of you. Kirsten, let me start with you. Um, the thing, there's so many takeaways. One of the things I was thinking is, wow, four years have made a huge difference. Can you imagine anyone in 2016, any of the women, mm -hmm. even wanting to at least throw this out there yeah. at all? And, yeah. and, you know, Elizabeth Warren is doing, uh, is doing similar, talking about running as a woman and putting the question out there about whether it is harder, or saying flatly, it is harder to do it as a woman than a man. Hillary Clinton would never go there. Yeah, it's a, because it's risky. Frankly. But it's also yeah. a new era. Yeah, it is, it is a new era, but it's also risky to do it yourself. It's always better, I think, to get other people mm. saying it versus um, you, you saying it yourself. Um, I, I think this is a tough one because Mayor Pete is, is extremely impressive and he has 
uh, you know, he, he had this very aggressive press strategy where he talked to every single person who wanted to talk to him. He was just out there. Mm-hmm. He was saying things that were very different. You know, he was talking about progressive Christianity. So that kind of caught people's attention. He was doing things that were very different. He's a veteran. So he has a lot of different things going he's for a, him. He's a gay candidate. He's, married he's gay, man. exactly. Yeah. And he's um, a gay Christian, mm-hmm. you know, somebody who's outspoken right. about that. So there are a lot of things about him that I think um, I just really want to back Amy up on this one, but I'm not sure about it. Well, you know, one of the things that we were talking about preparing for this, Kristen Donnelly, uh, one of the producers on the show, said something so smart, which is if it was a female mayor, they wouldn't even think about running because they would think that they would need more time. That's- right. I mean, that is tends to be the more female approach to things. That is true. But the other thing is there's an insider versus outsider thing here going on as well, which I think we need to sort of step back. He's running as a mayor. He's an outsider, not right. of Washington. So the three senators that she mentioned, they're but all would senators. He have, but would he have been doing as well if he were a woman, outsider or insider? I mean, I got to say, she's got a point, but I also think it smacks a little bit of sour grapes in the sense that Elizabeth Warren is the front runner in Iowa as she is a woman and is the front runner. I got to tell okay, you. So you, I'm glad you brought that up because you guys have to hear what happened just now with Elizabeth Warren. She was at a town hall and she was asked by a voter how to get men to vote for a woman. Listen to this. How about we give them a tough, smart woman to vote for? I, I was told what I needed to do was smile more. <laughs> I don't want to discriminate against you, Ray, because you're the man on the panel. So go for it. Well, um, actually, she is one-on-one funny, witty, self-deprecating, and smiles. So, I, I mean, it's not, it's not like she has to force it uh, the way some politicians might have to. Um, the only thing you can do, and I think it's smart, to make fun of that idea. Mm-hmm. You can't take that idea on and say gee, maybe I should smile more. Mm. No, you have to make it sound ludicrous, which is what she was trying to do there. But she did go after Joe Biden for uh, calling her angry, saying that that remark is sexist, which I should say he's denied. He said that's not what he meant at all. Yeah, I don't know. I just have to say, I do think we still live in a time where women have to work twice as hard in order to be taken seriously and in order to prove themselves. And I'm excited to cover a campaign where we don't have to ask voters, are you scared to vote for a woman because you think they're going to lose because of their gender? So um, I think Elizabeth Warren uh, hit the nail on the head there. And I I like that she attacked that in a self-deprecating, humorous way. Yeah. But as somebody who is probably a couple years older than you, I will tell you that things have changed. (laughs) But we're not there yet. All right. Everybody stand by on this Veterans Day. A look at how one place is helping America's heroes with a little honey. President Trump honoring those who served today, kicking off the 100th annual Veterans Day parade in New York, while Vice President Mike Pence laid a wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier. Another way to honor the service of veterans is to make good on the promise to take care of them all year round. In New Hampshire, one program is experimenting with a new therapy to treat veterans dealing with post-traumatic stress. And as Jake reports, it's getting a lot of buzz. Okay, when we have an incident like that, we need to calm everything back down. Staying calm amid a swarm of bees. It's hard to imagine. Do you smell that? But for these veterans, it's not just calming, it's therapeutic. It's helped me dramatically only because of the fact that it's bringing me into the moment. 
Retired Army Master Sergeant Vince Yidolo says he has tried nearly everything to get better. I've done many different classes for PTSD. Yidolo served for nearly four decades, including two tours in Iraq. You know, I've been going through problems. But it wasn't until a few months ago that he finally found relief. First with his therapy dog, Tippy. Careful with your fingers. Then with this beekeeping program. They called me and they said, hey, do you want to join in working with the bees? I said, like, what bees? <laughs> the program Hives for Heroes started in May as an effort by the VA in Manchester, New Hampshire to expand its recreational therapy program. All right, I need two people. And Little O has been there from the beginning, joined by several other veterans, all taught by local beekeeper so we're gonna shake. Karen Eaton. Get ready for our extraction day. That's going to be a great time. <laughs> great sticky time, yeah, exactly. Eaton joined forces with recreational therapist Valerie Carter to start this program, which Carter says has resulted in remarkable changes for these veterans. They're able to control that anxiety and know that, hey, I've got control of it, I can calm myself down, and I can be in this the spot with all these bees flying around me and be totally fine. And they're able to carry that over throughout their day. We're going to brush the bees. They're now taking steps to expand the program, which Little O says would help others with whom he served. I know it will help them dramatically because uh, I can still hear it in their voices and know what they're talking about. Legislation in Congress right now would fund more outdoor recreational therapy for veterans on public lands, which would allow for Little O and his new beekeeping community to expand even further. No, I don't mind doing it. Actually, I, I like learning how to do more things. Which everyone seems to be on board with, except for possibly Tippy. She ate one. She didn't like that. <laughs> Special thank you to our veterans today. And up next, the new details from the closed-door deposition just out what officials thought might not be legal. Be sure to tune in to CNN's town hall with the former vice president, Joe Biden, live tonight. It's moderated by Aaron Burnett at 9 p.m. Eastern, only on CNN. Our coverage continues on CNN right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.